Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Venture, it is great to be able to finish out this series, The Story of Us. And uh, we've had a great opportunity over the last few weeks to be able to walk through different stages of relationships. And the topic this week, I think, may be Maybe it's the most important one for our church because it's one we don't talk about enough. Now, I want to encourage you. There is a date night coming up. And so if you want to put a practical application to this series, I'd encourage you to sign up. It's May 14th, 7.30 at night. Uh, They're having it out in the tent. Um, And we've got a great creative team. I think it's called An Evening in Paris. There's a chocolate tasting. There's crepes. But maybe the most important part for every couple that signs up You'll be at your own table, by the way. You're not coming for a lecture hall. It truly is a date night for you. And and between the opportunity to have some fun, to enjoy some food together and dessert, you're also going to have the opportunity to talk and process and maybe just have conversation that you haven't had lately. I want to call all guys, um, the COVID pass is over. You've had about a year where we couldn't go out to restaurants, we couldn't do anything. So when date night rolled around, you kind of go, well, we can't, honey, because of COVID. Yeah, that excuse doesn't fly anymore. If anything, we need to get proactive again. And we're providing this as a church because we want to do whatever we can to strengthen couples. And so as you think about that, as you're praying about it, make sure you go online. There's a limited number of spots. Uh, We can only do so many under the tent. You're going to want to sign up for that for sure. Now, as we finish out this series, you know, over the the few weeks, we've looked at couples young in marriage, those who've been married for a while, maybe with kids. Last week, we looked at rebuilding us. This week, I want us to step back and think about it as a church, because when we talk about us, it's not just one nuclear family we're talking about. We're the family of God. And and we want to talk about a part of our church and people in our church that are absolutely invaluable to the kingdom of God. And I'm talking specifically about single adults. Those that that maybe they're not in marriage, maybe they've come out of a marriage, maybe they're a single parent in the process. And, And frankly, sometimes when you do a series like this and you've been talking about marriage and all the great parts about it, it can be hard to hear it some weeks, especially if you're longing for that. You realize there's 109 million single adults in the U.S. That number, that category is growing. That's about 45% of the adults in the U.S. And so when you you think about it as a church as a whole, we want to talk about what are some of the issues that they face distinctly, and we're doing a little bit different way this week. There's no minivanning with Murph. I know a lot of you are so disappointed. And so instead, we're having a talking with Tim. And I've invited a studio audience here. You can see individuals in our church, single adults in our church, who graciously said, yeah, we'd love to come be a part. And they're here not just to passively hear me teach. I'm going to teach some, but we're also going to have some discussion and give them the opportunity to ask me some questions in the process. And so I appreciate all of you guys being here. Appreciate uh, with it. Everybody's masked up. We've separated. I don't know if you can see it on camera as much as we can. Now, when they ask their question, they are going to take the mask off because we want the clarity for you to see it. But hear me, we we want to practice safety as we do this as well. So what are some of the key issues? And and some of these are ones that I've 
heard through counseling, some of it, and talking to different groups of the year. And, and we could do a whole series, just like marriage could be just a huge series. When you start talking about single adults, that's a huge category. There's not like just one simple thing. Some are single by choice. They want to be single. Some are single by circumstance. Maybe they're at a season in life, man, they'd love to be in a marriage or in a relationship. And God doesn't have that for them right now. Some face different challenges based on age. I mean, it just changes through the years, some of the challenges they face in that. But through each of them, God's Word speaks to it. And we can be confident with that. The first topic, I just I think it's important for us to address. Maybe they're not feeling it all the time, but a lot of times I hear from single adults just the issue of value and worth. It's interesting to me in the culture, because the single adult population is growing so much, they feel worth out there. They, they can feel it in society. The one place they often don't feel it, though, is in the church. And, and it's sad that that's true. I don't think anybody intends to do it. I, I, honestly, I can say as a pastor, I don't intend that. But I think it's easy as we teach on marriage, as we value families, as we value so much about that and we want to protect that, that sometimes we don't think about and value those that don't fit that perfect standard that we often call people to. And so it's good to just stop back and say, what does Scripture say about value and worth? And I'd say the first principle that you can see, and you can see in your notes there, the Bible values each of us, not based on whether you're married or not. The, the fundamental value for each person is because you're an image bearer of God. You've been created in the image of God. Look how it puts it in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So he talks about general creation, then he goes down to the individual, and then to make sure it's explicitly clear, he's not just talking about Adam. Male and female, he created them. Both Adam and Eve, male and female, are image bearers of God. That's where we find our worth inherently. You know, I, I think this message, there's probably a whole series on this message based on all the division in our country. If we just recognize first, Anytime you interact with any other person, I mean, you are interacting with someone who was created in the image of God. And anytime that you say something negative about them, anytime you, you attack them in any way, you're defacing the image of God. And, and it's so important. You don't have to earn that. You don't become more the image of God when you get married. You know, one of my things I hate to hear. It's like the cheesiest line. It's the old Jerry Maguire line. You, you know which one I'm talking about? When it's the couple, they look at each other and they kind of do the heart. You complete me. And I want to go, no, they don't. They don't. Now, they partner with you. They do model something that like Christ loves his church. It's, it's awesome, all the parts of it. I'm not trying to denigrate relationships at all. But hear me, only God completes you. You're only completed as a person. Whatever needs to be filled in your life is only completed by Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I would call single adults to is you've got the opportunity to both learn that and understand that in a way that, frankly, a lot of couples lose sight of. 
And they often go into marriage with so many expectations and then it turns into frustrations because this person can't complete them. It starts that you're an image bearer of God. And then the second part of that, the Bible actually affirms singleness as a way of life. So it's not just general, it, it affirms singleness. Look how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 7. He's talking about his life. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind or another, to the unmarried and the widows, look at this line in particular, I underlined it, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now, Paul was all about singleness. He loved it. And so in his mind, he just thought it was the best for everybody. And you'll see a little bit later, he's not commanding that you have to be. He's not saying it's more spiritual to be single. But the, likewise, it, it's so different than some of our concept today, kind of in the church, what we would say is, no, it's so good to be married. And Oh, you're single. Paul actually looked at it the other way. He goes, oh, it's so good to be single. Okay, you're married. And, and look how he puts the concession on marriage. Look, look at a little bit later, verse 32 through 35. He says, now, I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit. And I like this line. He says, not to put a restraint on you. So hear him. He, he's saying, I'm not saying one has to be the rule or the other. I'm not saying you can't get married. He's just applauding in that moment. And it's a scripture that we would probably do well to applaud more. He goes, Hey, there's some advantages here that he personally really took advantage of. And so when he says it's good for you, when he says it's to singles, it's good, he's not saying it in a patronizing way. He's not saying, okay, that's good. Um, he's not saying it because, man, if you really want to get married, you just need to embrace that it's good. He's not saying that either. But here's what he is saying, and I really would encourage you to embrace this. He is calling you to steward the advantages he has given you. Steward the freedom that he has given in there. And to embrace where God has you in this season. Sometimes when I, I talk to single adults, there's a part of though, there's a fear that if I were really to embrace that, does that mean God will never let me get married? Because once I embrace that contentment, then it's not going to ever happen. Contentment will never rob you of God's best for you. But it can rob you of what God has for you right now if you don't have it. It can rob you if, if you don't embrace it. It can rob the opportunity to really experience what does he have for you right now. Now, as I say that, I, I, I want to speak directly to parents of adult singles. Um, do you affirm this as much as Scripture does? God may have something, you, you may have an adult child who's chosen not to get married and they don't want to get married. Do you celebrate that? Do, do you affirm as Paul would? And, and I know I, as a parent with adult children, I, I carry that and I, I know each of those seasons with it. And it's especially hard if you know your child wants to get married and you know the disappointment they're feeling. And so you want it for them so bad that you make your whole relationship about that. And you're always asking about it. And, and the problem with it is, 
Sometimes your disappointment for them can feel like disappointment in them, to them. And the hard reality is, we're never going to parent our children into relationships. That, that's God's domain, not ours. So if they choose to invite you in, man, I, I would say process that with them. But if that's a part of your life right now, they're not comfortable with you being in, don't force your way in. Be their cheerleader, be their advocate. Same as a church. I, I would encourage us, we've got an opportunity with single adults in our church. How do we value them? How do we invite them to be a part of our families and be a part of our home that we do us together? We'll talk about community at the end of this. But do you specifically, when you look at your peer group, when you look at the people you have over to dinner, when you look at the people you do life with, is everybody like you around the table? If you're married, are they all married? Or do you mix that up in a way? Guys, the church is the last organization, group on the planet that actually crosses lines across every line, intergenerationally, male and female, all that God brings together. Do you invite them in in that? In fact, I want to stop for a moment and ask the group that we have here a couple of questions uh, around this issue. And just first of all, just ask, and, and we'll just kind of popcorn it uh, in, in answering, but uh, what do you enjoy about being single? I mean, as you look at it, we, we don't often talk about the benefits or some of the freedom that Paul talks about. So what are the things that you go, yeah, as I think about my life as a single adult, man, I really enjoy this, or this is a benefit. I'll just open the floor. All right, Connor. So I can be pretty free with what I spend my time doing and having traveling or something. I can just go. Like if I want to drive to Utah to see some friends, I can just, I'm out the next day, assuming I don't have work or something like that. But yeah. So um, spontaneity. Yeah, I'm not tied down to any one, any particular plan. I can just go do stuff. So like next week, I'm going to uh, Texas and then Colorado with my brother. We can just go. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. If I was single, that wouldn't work out so well. So uh, yeah. I wasn't single. Trust yeah. me, as a dad with a house full of kids, uh, the, the, we don't do anything spontaneous, it feels like, with that. So I'll try not to be jealous on this part of it uh, with it. Who else? Something else that's a benefit. I love that I never have to go to bed with someone giving me the cold shoulder. Mm. Um, and and it is true that there's like a lot of benefits in being spontaneous, having financial freedom to make your own decisions. But one of the things that I've loved about my singleness, which is also kind of scary, is having to rely on the Lord to be my husband, mm. to be my protector, to be my provider. Mm. Um, but unless I was single, I wouldn't have found out how to do that and what that looks like. Mm. And once you get to there, there's no better place to be in when you can learn to just rely on God. Man, that's powerful. That's really powerful. Hmm. Anybody else? Anything jump out at you? Um, I think it's it, being single has allowed me the freedom to explore a lot of um work that normally I think I would have been more hesitant to pursue um, definitely took a lot of minimum wage jobs for a very mm. long time mm. <laughs> and that was like okay with me because I didn't have to I just had to take care of this body I do eat mm. a lot but you know like <laughs> I, I'm okay staying in like you know not it, I don't have to live a luxurious life mm. in any kind of way and so 
it's been helpful for me to have a lot of trial and error, but hmm. also the um, internal freedom, knowing that, oh, like, if I lose everything, there's not somebody that's right next to me losing everything yeah. along with me, which would be very, like, very scary, especially mm. for people that we love. And so I think that has been, um, like, such an asset, like, mm. kind of the freedom to fail, almost, yeah. which is weird, but um, I think it's also an asset that singles Well, I, I think it's it's what Paul was saying there. You don't carry the anxiety of, of this other person in that, that I've got freedom in it and so the ability to branch out in that yeah i was talking to a woman in our church and she's single adult in that and we were talking after one of the messages and she she just said you know i just like living alone i just really enjoy that and and have embraced that you know you think about that i mean just some of it is the wiring around that let me flip it now though and and because the reality and you, I hear it a bit from single adults in the church with it that, man, we don't always feel valued around here. And I'm not venture, but church in general, but venture specifically in it. And uh, what are some of the ways, and, and without attacking anybody, because I don't think anybody's trying to do it, but what are some of the ways that you do feel devalued or ways that church can make you feel devalued? I think for me... Um... I mean, Tim, you touched on this earlier about um, the church celebrating marriage so much and then sometimes feeling like singleness is ignored. And I think especially being in my young 20s, there's such a focus on, I mean, I think especially in young women as well, like wherever you go, it's like, so, you know, have you, are you, are you dating anybody? Are you, and I think some of those conversations are exciting and good and mm -hmm. fine. And then sometimes it's like, is that all that I am? You know, it, mm. you know, that conversation is just had over and over again. Are you going to college ministry? Are you, you know, because it's practically just, you know, speed dating for, you know, young people, <laughs> you know. And, and so it's like, I think feeling devalued in that, that conversation comes up all the time, <laughs> you mm. know, where it's like, it's not all that I am and my sufficiency yeah. is found in Christ and that he is enough for me. He is my groom, like you were saying, like, and that that is what makes me who I am rather than being young and the whole ring by spring idea yeah. of, yeah, you're young, go find somebody. It's, it's kind of exhausting. Yeah. I could see you that. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't mind it being a part of the conversation, but when it's the sole focus of the conversation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's, it's consistent across, you know, yeah. all the time. It's, it's like, it's not who yeah. I am. You know, Christ is, is everything that I am. Yeah. Anybody else? Anything? Joe? I think I'm looking around. I'm a little bit older than all the people here. Yeah. So my struggle in the church context after I became a single with the divorce has been people tried to fix my problem. Because mm -hmm. like what I have, I carry a lot of sh you know shame and mm -hmm. you know struggle. And the best gift a lot of them can give me is just hear me out. Mm. So a lot of the time, like for example, often I feel angry with God. I go through mm. the cycles, you know, it happens a few times. Typically because I feel like I'm single and but I cannot like you know, you say if, if you can't control your passion, you have to get married. I struggle with my controlling my passion, but I can't I'm not free to yeah. marry. So a lot of times people will say, Oh, God is going to change all your uh, you know, ideas about you know, you know, the scriptures I'm quoting and he's going to bring a beautiful woman in your life. Those things are unhelpful. 
because it at you know i feel like you know completely i don't you know invalidated because i'm really struggling with you know clear boundaries i you know yeah. draw from the scripture so saying yeah. something like that or you know giving me some sort of a you know superficial treatment when i'm yeah. carrying deep hurts and pain it's actually unhelpful hmm. man i appreciate you saying it because i i think what you're saying a lot of people feel whether it's on this issue or or something they carry that I, we so want to fix pain quickly that uh we often do more damage in the process so i uh, thanks i appreciate you sharing that anybody else i've got something sort sort of a question actually yeah i was thinking about this earlier so i've always thought of marriage and relationships as like an achievement thing you get like hmm. it's an accomplishment you're striving toward like graduation is an accomplishment you're striving for so marriage is also like you get there and now you have a more elevated life hmm. um do you all think of marriage like that like should we view it like that like would do you think you live a more con- a more content life after you got married as opposed to before um i i would say there's obviously things that if you long for marriage designed for marriage that when you experience that yeah there's parts of your life that mm-hmm. it fulfills i i don't want to try to oh yeah, yeah. present it yeah. the flip side of it is though i think so many of the things that we're longing for at an eternal level we think marriage is going to fix and if if you're not really finding that a little bit like erica said earlier of of finding who christ is in you marriage will actually become harder and more frustrating. And especially as you're dealing with another person who, man, if they're not pursuing the Lord in it or they go through their struggles in it. And so I, I think it's a little bit of an illusion to go, man, you're going to get to marriage and man, you've hit that next level. You'll get into marriage and there's some great things. As I look at 30 years of marriage, oh man, I'm so thankful for my wife and all that she's helped me do and become in that. But I've got to also go Man, I, I got to believe if God hadn't brought her, he still wants me to grow in those things and do that. And I've had to learn through the years, there's so many things I was expecting her that she was supposed to fulfill that she can't, that no person can. And so that that's the part of it that I'd encourage you not to kill the dreams because if God's put the dream of marriage in there, don't kill that dream. But this is a great season for you to go, okay, God, what is it that you want me to grow as a man right now? Because the more you make those steps, the better you'll be if marriage comes. And then if marriage doesn't come, you're still becoming the man that God's called you to be. That's a great question. All right, we're going to keep moving uh, with it and hit the second subject because this one's a little bit of a a hot potato in it. But I think we're not being honest if we don't talk about it uh, with it. And so how do we talk about sexuality and purity? Uh, How do we talk about sexuality and purity? And as I the first point you see here, the Bible recognizes single adults are sexual beings. It, it doesn't pretend like we're just not going to talk about it at all. And that's often how we approach it as a church. It's kind of like single adults, and it makes us a little uncomfortable to talk about, and so we're just not going to talk about that. Or we just reduce it, those are youth group talks. And so, you know, when the young people, they need to deal with that and, and, and that, but we, we, we won't talk about it here. And, and the Bible doesn't approach it that way, especially not Paul. Look, look how he says it again, and Joe referred to this passage. It's, it's a hard passage. He says, to the unmarried and widows, 
I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Again, remember I told you he is all about championing singleness. But he says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. Now, part of what I appreciate with Paul is he's real matter of fact here. He just says, hey, let, let's look at, look how you're wired. Look how the sex drive that God's given you. It's better to marry than burn with passion. Notice he doesn't condemn people for having that sex drive. He doesn't look at it and go, you burn? That's bad. He goes, no, okay, let's recognize this. He personally would go, this is something I'm not struggling with. I have self-control over, so I'm able, but maybe you're not wired like me, is what Paul's pointing out in it. And so that's why he calls people to that. But we got to recognize in Scripture, anytime you talk about this subject, especially right now, it's interesting to me, the whole subject of sex is getting redefined, and people are using Scripture to redefine it. So I just, I could do, again, a whole series on that part, but I'll I'll point out, God designed sex within the confines of marriage. And I think that's part of the hard reality as a single adult, especially you find yourself, man, I, I burn in that way but there's still definition to why God gave it and how he gave it. Uh, Genesis 2 is the fundamental passage. Jesus quotes this one the most. It's what he goes back to. You'll see this the most in Scripture. Look at it in Genesis 2. And this is right after God introduces Eve to Adam. So it's his first time of seeing her. And by design, God had Adam in the garden for a while, and he sees all the animals, and he's like, okay, wait a second. Everybody has a partner. Everybody has a partner. Everybody has a partner. I don't have a partner. And then when he presents Eve to her, then the man said, this at last, and that term, that at last in the Hebrew, it's like a woohoo. I mean, he is really excited. He's like, okay, God. Good work here. This is less bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. And then this definition, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Now, as you look at that, one of the key things to point out, and attraction is part of the equation. Adam's attracted to Eve. He sees her. He's like, yes, in that. But notice as God's building this, you you see with this, he walks through it. Notice the first part of the relationship is really founded on commitment. The man has to risk, he leaves father and mother. And then the commitment, that, that word there, hold fast, literally is cleave. He's making a life commitment to her. And 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 I think what what stands out to me, so here's attraction, but as it builds in relationship, when they're making this step together, there's commitment that then leads to sexual intimacy. We flipped it in the world today, guys. I mean, you guys hear it all the time, the bombardment of it. I mean, if if you wait till the third date, you really waited. Because sex moved in. I mean, you can start with Tinder. I mean, you're swiping right or left. It's the whole thing's built on sex. And and here's the misnomer is we'll start with sex and we'll see how that goes. And if it's going okay, then it might lead to more relationship. And then hopefully out of that relationship, a commitment will come one day. It's the opposite of how God designed it. And we're not the better for it. 
I'll just say that we're not the better for it as a society. We're not the better for it as a people today. When you look at the, the long-term impact of that. And, and it's, it's fascinating to me, if you do studies on it, the studies of the most sexually fulfilled people, I, I could list all the scientific studies that go with it. Um, even those who are in a cohabitating relationship, you go, man, they're, they're living together. At least there's that commitment. I read a study they did, uh, Stephanie Pappas writes about it in Live Science. And so it was a scientific study. They used MRIs to study the brains of couples. And specifically, they looked at women who were single, alone, cohabitating, and married. And they would give them a, a shock, a little shock to the ankle. I know, it's like, who signs up for these kind of studies? And they gave each of the woman, uh, women uh, three choices. They could hold the hand of their partner. They could hold the hand of the stranger or they could face the shock alone. And then they studied the brain, what's going on when that would happen. And, and it was interesting. And again, this was a scientific study. They didn't go into it with like predisposition. They were surprised by it. That the women that held the hand of their spouse exhibited calm in the hypothalamus. There's a calm even as the shock came. The part that surprised them even cohabitating women, they exhibited the same distress as women that were holding the hand of a stranger. Listen to how Papa said, what surprised researchers is that while both sets of women stated they felt commitment from their partners, the cohabitating women recorded the same level of calm as those who held a stranger's. Researchers speculate that while cohabitating women say they feel commitment from their partner, doubt resides in the deepest part of the brain. There's a part of you that just knows, has this person really made a lifetime commitment? And, and for our protection, God said, hey, this is so intimate to who you are. This is so important to who you are. Without that commitment, you're the one hurt in the process. Now, I know, and maybe you're watching this out there, you go, whoa, 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 Tim, you're way down the track. Cohabitation even, marriage. I just want to have sex to enjoy sex. And, and so it's just sex is what you would say. I, I'd say the next point you can see, sex is never just sex. Sex is never just sex. It, at least the way God designs it. And if biblically, as you look at that, you may disagree with me. You, you may look at it in that way. But, but as I say that, I know we live in a culture today and, and maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, of course the Bible said that. It was so quaint back then. It was so, and, and there's part of me that kind of laughs in it, especially the Apostle Paul. And, you know, we're reading a lot out of Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7, key passages with that. Paul would hear us today and say, oh, you think your culture is sexually pushing the boundaries? Come with me back to Corinth. Because if you went with Paul to Corinth, he'd walk you in and he'd go, hey, look up on the hill there. Do you see that big temple up there? That's a temple to Aphrodite. And there's about two to 3,000 prostitutes who are working there all the time. And they're all throughout the city. And they're men and they're women and they're young people and they're teenagers. And, and everybody just kind of assumes prostitution, especially temple prostitution, it's not even considered sex. I mean, it's not like real sex. It's just, you know, you're physically going through the motion because you enjoy the pleasure of that. That was the mentality of, of the culture, especially of Corinth. 
It's not too dissimilar from where we are, except they probably pushed it even further. It impacted even people in the church. Look how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 6. He writes, he says, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. Notice what he's referring back to. Genesis. He's going, it's not just sex, even with a prostitute. Even though you say, well, I don't care about it. It's just the sex act itself. He goes, God doesn't view it that way. The two have become one. And it's impacting you. That's why in Corinthians, in the next verse you see it, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Now, a lot of times when we preach on this topic, especially with singles, literally that's the only verse we use. We use those four words. Flee from sexual immorality. Okay, we're done. Nothing else to say. And the problem with that is we never tell why. We just say what? Flee from it. It's bad. And so you got young people growing up, and here's what they've heard from the church. Sex is bad. Sex is not bad. God's the one who came up with it. He literally designed it. And, and if you read through the Bible, there's a lot more in the Bible that's very pro-sex than the prohibitions against it. God's all for it. See, we leave out the why. Look how Paul tells why. Why would you want to flee from sexual immorality? Why would you not have sex outside of marriage? Well, because every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. It actually impacts you. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So maybe you hear that and you go, hey, I'm not hurting anybody and it's my body. If you're a Christian, Paul goes, mm, that's actually not true. It's not yours anymore. See, you're not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Here's the point that Paul's pointing out here. He says sexual purity protects you and it gives you an opportunity to glorify God. Guys, hear me on this one. Anytime you have a prohibition from God, and especially a hard one like this, this is a hard one. God never tells us a no unless he wants to protect us. And it may not feel like protection, especially because, I mean, and, and I hear it, I, I talk that, Tim, if you say I'm, one, going to only date Christians, do you realize how narrow my dating pool just got? Now you want to add on top of that Christians, and we're not going to sleep together. Do, do you realize how narrow that has gotten? You realize the sacrifice you're asking me to live out? And frankly, I probably don't. I've been married for 30 years. I'm not living where you are. I'm not struggling with that in a way. And you need to hear that from me. And if it was just my thoughts, I, I might be, oh, well, I could let this slide. But here's what I know. God never gives a command if it's not for our good. And so I don't call you to that because, oh, man, that's what the church is supposed to do. And, and we want to keep you from being bad people. I call you to it because I know when God designs something, it's always for our best. And one of the things, you know, that's surprising to me, the first time I ever taught on this, is we always just equate this to young people. Oh, the young people need to hear this. The group that needs to hear this the most are older single adults, especially if you've been divorced or married before. Because as I started talking to them, especially, I, I was surprised. First I was teaching on this, I had all these women that were writing me, and they go, man, I started dating again, 
And the expectation from the guys was, well, we were married before and those rules really don't count for us. Sex is just part of the equation. And I would just encourage you, if there was ever a season in your life, you need to guard your heart. Because see, when, when you have sex, you're, you're bonded with that person. It's a binding agent. It's like a glue. Do you really want to be glued? You don't even know if you want to be glued to that person yet. And that's what it does. And, and the more you keep abusing that, at some point, it changes your heart. Changes you. That's what Paul said. It sins against you. It has impact on you in it. I had a woman years ago, she was dating a guy, and I knew him. We had a conversation later. And, and he was a guy, and he was, you know, known as a godly guy in the church, and they were dating. They were older singles. And finally, she write, wrote me, and she said, I'm really struggling. I said, why? She said, he is really pressuring me sexually now. And I was like, oh. And he was kind of putting out there, maybe we could get married, and really kind of leading her in that way. But, but he, said, he said, you know, we really can't go deeper in this relationship until we find out if we're sexually compatible. Because it's such an important part of life. We need to find out if we're sexually compatible. And then if we really are, then we can. And I could feel her struggle with it because she, she really saw herself, man, I'd like to have a marriage to this man. But I feel like God's called me at this stage in life. I want to be true to what he's called me to. And so I, I, I told her, I said, hey, why don't you call him and tell him, you know, it really is important to find out if we're compatible in different ways. And so before we get married, we probably need to find out if we're financially compatible. And so this week, let's set up appointments with your bankers, your brokers, with everybody, your financial planner. And I want you to go ahead and add me to all of those accounts and let me have full access to all of your finances. Because, you know, before we get married, we got to find out if we're financially compatible. And so she stopped and she said, he's not going to do that. And I said, really? Why not? And she said, because he's worth a lot. And that's what I told her. I said, you know what? You're worth so much more. You're worth so much more. And if he's not willing to sacrifice, why, why should you? She held the line with him and he broke up. And it was painful. It really was. It was painful in a lot of ways. But later she would come back and go, you know, that was a gift. It was a gift that I didn't feel at the time. He and I had a conversation following that as well. So we won't go into that part of it. But uh, as a pastor, I feel like we have a responsibility to do what we can to protect in it. Uh, final part on this part of it, of just when it comes to, to sex and these issues with it, a lot of people go, where does grace come in? And it, it kind of is interesting on both parts because some people go, Tim, I've already messed up in these areas. What does it matter? I mean, if I've already messed up, shouldn't I just continue on in it? And you've kind of convinced yourself you're damaged goods. And it really won't matter. And that's not how God sees it. Other side of it, some people can convince themselves it's okay because there is grace. Well, God will forgive me. It's okay. Here's what I encourage you on this. God's grace removes all condemnation but it doesn't remove all consequences. There's no condemnation, but the consequences of giving yourself away in this, you can't just magically pull out the grace button and go, God, make all that disappear. Your forgiveness with him is always there. 
the consequences of how you've hurt yourself and others doesn't just magically, because you wouldn't want to be, if you were the person hurt and somebody is able to pray, maybe they're great with God, but you still want them to make it right and to deal with it. Uh, like how Romans puts it, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. And so when the devil wants to tell you your damaged goods, he's saying God's a liar here. You're not. And you need to embrace that and know that. I love how Jesus handled this, that, that balance between the two. Look, look in John 8, the woman that was caught in adultery. Jesus stood up to her and said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. There's no condemnation. A woman who is just caught in sexual sin, he doesn't condemn her. There's no condemnation. It's the grace of God. But notice what he says as well. Now go and sin no more. There's no condemnation, but you can't keep living in this because it's going to keep having the same consequences. It's going to keep impacting your life. And, and, and I always encourage in that, that you need to trust that. Now, Satan approaches this the opposite way. This final thing I'll just say on this, and, and you can see it in the notes there. In temptation, Satan overstates the power of cheap grace. In guilt, he understates the power of real grace. Here's what I mean in that. When you're struggling with sexual temptation, Satan will be the first to whisper in your ear, God will forgive you. It's okay. Isn't there grace after all? And what he's putting in front of you is this cheap grace. And what I mean by that is, it's a grace of forgiveness, but it's not a grace to be able to stand and do what God's called you to do. Here's the interesting thing. As soon as you give in to that sin, he then comes on the backside in your guilt and he understates the power of real grace. And he wants to tell you, you're dirty. You're, this is who you are. You're never going to change. Nothing's going to be different. Hear me, both of those are a lie. Real grace gives us strength. that You'll struggle in it. And God recognizes that. He knows their struggle. You're not defined by this one area of struggle in your, in your life any more than any other sin defines everything about us. You'll struggle, but there's grace to be able to stand in truth. And there's grace to experience the forgiveness that you need in that. All right, I'm going to stop there. And instead of asking you questions, I'm going to give you the opportunity, maybe if you've got a question around this issue. I love how you explain that we're not supposed to, in our singleness, to have sex. And you explain the why. But I feel like something that I really struggled with in my singleness, um, and especially not being raised in a Christian home, mm. is the how. In a, a culture mm. that's so tender, central, how can we actually, and God gave us these desires, what advice would you give to yeah. singles on how we can live that out? Yeah, uh, that's the million dollar question right there. And I appreciate you asking it because I think so often we call to these ideals and then in, in the how people are left out there scurrying with it. I'd say, you know, there's a few things that you're going to have to do. One, and just hearing you, but immersing yourself in, in truth. You know, that, that, that Romans 12, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The battlefield happens here more than we think. And it's not just, I'm talking about where you explicitly are involved in sexual material or stuff. Before you ever get there, that bombardment all the time of 
every TV show. Every, I mean, it's just a given now of just, well, of course they're sleeping together. They're in love. They're sleeping. And you can let that kind of script play in your mind so much that you start kind of convincing yourself, yeah, that is reality. That is life. That's, that's the world conforming. And so what does it say by the renewing of your mind? If you're not bombarding your mind with truth and continuing to do so, man, it'll start gaining ground more than you realize. That That's a first point, I'd say. Second, you're going to have to have some accountability out of that. And I'd encourage it. It's got to come in a community of trust, though, because I've seen too many people that kind of put themselves in accountability and it almost becomes this miserable thing that's held over them. And then they define their failure by that, as opposed to who are the people who know me, they love me, they're for me, and I trust them enough that failure is a part of the equation and they're still for me. And they recognize that. So they're extensions of grace. Um, confession can be a really powerful thing. We don't practice it enough. James tells confess your sins one to another. Where you have somebody you trust like that, uh, we're a priesthood of believers. In other words, we're all priests before God. And having somebody you go, man, can I just out loud really confess this? There's real power when you have that kind of community around that. Doesn't magically make it all go away, but it helps you take that next step uh, in that. And then finally, I'd just say, if you're a couple, you know, in it and you're struggling, my my two things for couples, um, and say it to my kids and say it to others as well, um, it's priority and proximity. So uh, you've made, here's my line, here's our priority, and you've both talked about it. It's just, I'm committed, here's my priority when it comes to sex. And then proximity we're not going to hang out alone too often where we can cross that priority. And that probably impacts as much as anything else. I mean, I talked to couples that go, man, I didn't want to cross that. What were you doing? Well, we were in each other's apartment every night on the sofa making out. And I'm like, uh, yeah, it probably is going to cross that line, isn't it? Even despite the best intention. So kind of that priority and proximity, I think, are important things in it. Good question. Anybody else on this one? Can I share something? Sure. Like one of my biggest struggle or challenge after I got divorced is how am I going to manage that sexual purity? Yeah. And part of this, somehow I felt like, you know, I didn't want this to be the reason why God is not going to heal my marriage. Mm. So how do I do that? I think, I think I got into, you know, groups like Warrior Men. I think I'm actually one of the earliest, mm. you know, members of that group. Through that, I think what I realized that I think like you mentioned, you know, my, when I'm struggling with sexual temptation, if I unpack it, it's really not about sex. I'm struggling with, you know, I'm inadequate to carry through the, you know, whatever I need to do for work mm-hmm. or life and whatnot. And if I can share that, a lot of times the real need is need for affirmation and need for encouragement. Mm-hmm. And so I think like, you know, that, you know, even I've been in church all along and most of the groups I used to attend before my divorce used to be the performance group. I go there and I say I'm the well put together Christian, I quote Bible verses, but there's no, you know, confession. I l- learned that Bible verse as a child. You know, mm-hmm. I quoted, you know, I, you know, Sunday schools and all. But I only in warrior men type group where I experience, uh, you know, and then through that I actually learned to say, God, I'm actually struggling with temptation. You say, uh, you know, you'll meet all my mates. Previously I couldn't say that because I thought, hey, we need to, perf- even prayer need to be all performance because all your groups are all about performance. Like learning to say that, to God, mm. like I'm struggling with sexual temptation, you know, uh, and I, that was a huge breakthrough for me. Mm. So one thing I could say that I have a lot of complaints, 
about god about you know what he didn't do or anything but last 7 years i think i feel like i'm more you know my sexual temptation and all other things are a lot more healthier and in control mm. than any time i felt in my mm. in my marriage because it was i last 7 years i actually learned to experience real intimacy mm. we didn't know how to experience that in in my marriage mm. and and initially i used to think in intimacy is an act of sex like right now it's you know like learning to be vulnerable and find acceptance i only ex- started experiencing the mm. last few years mm. and That's that powerful. actually fulfills mm. That's so powerful. And and what you're talking about too is why God designed it the way it, it is. That if you move sex up in the equation, so often you rob yourself as a couple of really getting to the intimacy that that the whole relationship was designed for because you put it too quickly as opposed to it growing coming out of that commitment in it. I, the other thing I, I I love that you said, you know, warrior men and the ministry they have, it, it's powerful because there's that authenticity and that honesty of of that and and I, I would encourage all people whether it's sexual issues anything we all have things we're ashamed of and the power of having a community of people that you can truly confess in front of and know they're safe it it's hard it really is because you, you don't it takes time to build that kind of community but it's so powerful when you do that Any other questions and we'll finish out with the last section on it but I don't want to make sure I speed past if you had anything you wanted to ask. Uh, there's probably a thousand questions we could ask on this but we may have to save it for you got one more. Yeah, so on your fourth point where you're talking about um sexual purity giving you an opportunity to glorify God. Mm-hmm. Why does living a pure a pure life glorify God? Yeah, I I would say anytime you sacrifice you're modeling Jesus Christ. So Paul even talks about it he, he goes when I was able to participate in the suffering of Christ when he he talks about even his persecution and different places things that we would naturally look at and go I don't want any part of that and he he wasn't like he he's this person that he likes that but he recognized man in this brokenness in this hardness I'm more like Jesus and and that that's the part that I I really would want so many married couples to to embrace um i see so many people in our church you know i i, I think of some some have same sex attraction and they've chosen man i am sacrificing that because i really want to pursue what christ has called me to so i've embraced a celibate life over it i know divorced people that their hearts are broken but they go man i place that on the altar young people that they're feeling that and they feel the same sexual drive and and, and all that Every time that they do that, I always stand back and go, these are heroes in our church because they are on the front line of actually living out these sacrifices that Christ called us to. And we we a lot of times talk about it in general language. This is when it gets real specific. And I think in those moments, God looks at it and goes, "Man, you're bringing me glory. Man, I'm so proud of you." And I think we need to affirm that more and say that more. Sure. um self sacrifice and um like um self control i think we've talked about it in our small group like why do we have to do it like in, as an area of sacrifice for god right because i think like in just in case you're desiring for marriage or a family like later on you're going to have to sacrifice an area of your life and god is just preparing you for that and like oh you can sacrifice that that desire or that fleshly desire right now 
And so he's preparing for that that life of just uh, more sacrifice in the future, like for example, lose sleep, right? Mm. Or other ways of sacrifice in um, general. Mm. So I think that's what we've talked about and that's, I've never thought of that like that. Like sacrificing my purity could lead to like God molding me into a person of sacrificial love for other people. So mm. that's, that's, yeah. That's awesome. One last just kind of category, and we'll summarize it pretty quickly. Uh, and you guys have been patient and appreciating those online, probably patient with it, but we don't get to talk like this enough. So I, I appreciate the opportunity, but it's around community. Um, everybody longs for community. What, what I mean in that, we all long for relationship. And there's not just one definition of relationship. Uh, you know, we've talked about the story of us, and we immediately, I mean, we put the couple there on it. But frankly, us for a lot of people looks different than that. So you see the, the first part of it, as an image bearer of God, every one of us was made to love and be loved. See, it goes back to how you were created. And so think about it. You were created in the image of a triune God. This is part about Christianity that's different than other religions. We believe in a God who's three in one. He's three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That has been an eternal love relationship where they are love and they give love to each other. Now, God loved us so much, He created the world, the plan of salvation. But if you're created in His image, then you're wired the same way. You were made in His image, so in the same way that He is loving and gives love and experiences it, you were made with that desire and need. That's why community, this desire for a relationship, runs so deep in us. Whether you want to get married or not, everybody needs community. John puts it this way. Look how he puts it in 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And so I think recognizing in a core part of it, it's not just a desire for romance. It's not always just a desire for marriage. A lot of times our longing is, I'm just, I'm desiring to love and be loved. And, and in Scripture, it, it's interesting. If you look in Greek in particular, there's C.S. Lewis wrote a book on the four loves. There's four Greek words for love. Mainly in the New Testament, you'll see three of them that kind of show up, or three of them in the Bible. One is the Greek word phileo. Phileo is the, the Greek word of friendship love, mainly when you really love a friend. Then agape. Agape is sacrificial love. God so loved us, he laid down his life for us, that agape. And then a, a third word is eros. We get the word erotic from it. And so sexual love is a part of that. And the world wants to tell you to really have that deep, deep love, you have to have the eros too. That's, that's part of the equation. And, and what I want you to see in, in here is everyone needs an us. In fact, you see the, the point in the notes, everybody needs their us in order to be who God made you to be. But it may not be a marriage. And you can experience love. I'll remind you, Jesus Christ didn't get married. He lived on this planet as a single man. Now, you may hear that and go, well, Jesus couldn't get married. Well, why not? It's not a sin to be married. But he wasn't married. It didn't match the mission that God had called him to. But Jesus loved. And he experienced love. And Jesus had his us. I know he had his disciples, but he also had his friends. In fact, it's interesting to me when it talks about Mary and Martha and Lazarus, this, this family, and from what we can tell, none of those three ever got married. 
or they weren't married in the stories at this point. So you get these three single adults, and it's kind of like Jesus's, you know, core group. He'd hang out, he'd be with them. In the story when Lazarus dies, look, look how it describes Jesus' love for it. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love, and notice they use the Greek word phileo, he whom you had this deep friendship love with is ill. A little bit later, verse 5, it says, now Jesus loved. What do we see here? There's agape love in this relationship as well. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I, I just point this out because you see Jesus with his us, and there's deep phileo. There's deep agape. What's the one you don't see? There's no eros. You don't have to have that to have deep relationship. Now, it doesn't change the fact maybe God's wired you that you want to have that. Nothing wrong with eros. And if God gives you that in a marriage relationship, great. But you don't have to wait for that one relationship before you can start determining your life, your us in life. Everybody needs community now. And as we say that, I just finish out asking you guys, um, if you were going to give advice maybe to another single adult of how to establish that us, how to establish that community. I mean, we've heard different parts of it, a study that you're in, the warrior men, and you know, I feel that from you, Joe. How else would you say, man, this, don't wait for it. This is how either I've experienced it or you would, would tell somebody else in our church to go experience that. Uh, I would say getting to a small group uh, if you're not in a group yet. Hmm. Um, I think for singles, especially for singles in the Bay Area, uh, the Silicon Valley, we're constantly uh, bombarded by uh, different values uh, hmm. from society. And it's really important that we find a, um, uh, a community of believer, believers to strengthen each other's faith, uh, faith um, and to encourage each other. Uh, like personally, I would say, being a small group, I went from a stage of uh, wanting my voices be heard, mm. uh, uh, wanting to share my struggles, um, and later on to a stage um, where I was thinking, oh, can I, can I put more emphasis on other people's struggles? I. Mm. Uh, can I spend time listening to other people's uh, ideas, hmm. uh, their feelings more? I think community, small group is a place where you need to spend time with each other. And time is, is a valuable resource we have. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it's gone and it's gone. We can't get it back. Um, so as Tim, like a couple of weeks ago, you've shared, you've emphasized the, the point where couples um, are ought to also called by God to put each the other more um, important than ourselves. I think uh, small group is a is a starting point hmm. where we can learn to put put others more important than ourselves. Hmm. I, I love that shift that you describe in your own thinking because it, it is easy. We often go into it looking for what I need, and then when God starts working in your heart, that you go, okay, how do I help meet their needs? Um, and maybe you've experienced this. When I do that, it's funny. Then I'm actually starting to 
experience what I was longing for. But until I make that shift, I can find myself always looking for it and it, it never gets full. When, when, when we make that shift like Christ, it really changes. It's true in a marriage and it's true in a group or with others as well. Yeah. Anybody else? Any advice that you'd give? Um, I think some advice that I would give would be that I think it's easy to become apathetic to finding mm. community. I know for me, like originally when I graduated high school and a lot of my friends left for college and I stayed home at community college, um, there's nothing wrong with that. And But I found it very easy to be like, God, I don't have community. I, I you know, mm. And there's nothing wrong with desiring that. But in, there needs to be action steps mm. behind that because it's, you know, to expect God to just be like, poof, you know, yeah. here it all is. You know, I think when checking and, and asking yourself, when's the last time I, I saw a small group or mm. I, I said hi to somebody at church and mm. complimented their outfit and mm. talked to them and was nice. You know, when's the yeah. last time I, I actually put that into action? Mm. And and I know like Connor and I on Friday nights, meet, we meet with a group of young adults to and and. Mm. For me, that was an answer to prayer and came very unexpectedly of mm. a group of just young people hanging out on Friday nights, worship, sermon. And and I think that came from actually making steps to find community mm. and not just, okay, Lord, where is it? What's going on? Mm. Losing the, the, the apathy and taking steps of, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek this out mm. is really important. Yeah, I love that. Be proactive. Don't don't wait for somebody to rescue you uh, in it. Anybody else? So I love being in small group. I'm in two right now. Um, and I think that for those who are watching, there's always this perception that small group is we're all just in a room, sitting in a circle, reading the Bible. <laughs> but in reality, we're also having so much fun. Adventure, they have the 20s and 30s singles. They have the 40s and up singles. And through venture small groups, singles, small groups, I've been to pool parties. I've been to speed dating events that happen here at Venture. And we, we have fun and we do life together. We do read the Bible together and pray for each other and hold each other accountable but we're friends we're friends and we have fun too hmm. love that just to piggyback on yeah. that i think some others would come in and think oh i don't know the bible that much or i'm not i don't know or i'm an introvert or something i mean you can come as you are hmm. so that's like the beautiful thing about venture i came here last year i didn't know anyone in san jose but then i got plugged into venture and I met Yessie right here. Very, very, like, I wow. see you two together every <laughs> Sunday. <and laughs> yes, yeah. like, I am just so blessed by her. I, yeah. She's very beautiful inside and out. Oh. She loves the Lord. She encourages me. She just tells me what I need to hear and not just what I want to hear. And she's just my accountability. And just, yeah, very blessed by, Love it. by this friendship. So, yeah. Well, and I, I'd, I'd encourage you as we wrap up, um, no matter where you are on your journey, uh, maybe you're very new to even understanding Christianity. There's a place for you here. You can ask around the room. All of us have been on different parts of that journey. And so don't don't be intimidated that you like, if you're going to jump in here, you got to know the Bible and know all the answers. Um, just come be you. And be honest with maybe what God's doing in your life or the real questions that you have. And allow others to gather around you. Uh, it's everyone's got a next step. And what I hope you're hearing and feeling is, especially if you're a single adult, 
And we'd love for you to find community here and take that next step with us. Flip side of it, I just call all of us who are married, all of us maybe have families. It's so easy, um, just like we heard, to focus on what we need and what we have to do and focus on doing life with others who are just like us. I'm telling you, if you would carve out a place in your home, a place at your table, that you are regularly engaging single adults, single parents, that you have them around the table, that you walk with them, that you you have those conversations and and just do life together. One, it'll be a huge blessing for them. Um, They long for community not only with each other, but they also long for community with families. But but let me tell you, it'll be a blessing for you. Uh, They'll bring perspective that maybe you've lost sight of. And they'll help you understand Jesus, maybe in a way that you haven't before, because you're getting to see him through different eyes and what he's doing in the life. I, I thank you guys. I, I really do. I appreciate you guys being a part of it. I appreciate everybody that's online with this. A little bit different message, but I think maybe we should be a little more interactive in this because we talk about the real issues and, and what's going on. Why don't I close with the word of prayer? And Father, we do come before you. I, I thank you. I thank you for... Uh, Everybody who came today, thank you for this group, their openness and honesty and their willingness to uh, serve our church body by being a part and sharing. Lord, I pray for anybody who hears this, especially a single adult, who maybe they're out there and they feel so disconnected from you, or maybe they feel so condemned by mistakes they've made. Maybe they're a little angry right now. This is not how life was supposed to be at this stage. Lord, I pray, would you give them the courage to bring anything to you and to believe that you love them and that you have community for them and that you can redeem every area of our lives. Lord, I pray that Venture as a church would be known as a a community that welcomes singles, that they are valued here. Help us grow in that. Help us see blind spots. Help us to step forward. Lord, I pray as well that you would uh, really stir up the single adults to lead us well, to speak into our lives and the things that we need to hear because they're experiencing Christ at a level of sacrifice that frankly, a lot of us are. Lord, we thank you for Jesus most of all. Thank you that he is not a God who led from afar. He came and he walked this planet. And he knows what single adults face in a way that I don't. And so I thank you that he is their savior and that he is near. And we pray these things in his name. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.